to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Welcome to it, folks. Yet another week of exciting action in the Stock Talk universe. We got a lot of things happening, Corey Edge. Um, we announced the showman, the industry's first ever online showmanship contest. If you missed it, we were live on Monday with a Facebook Live describing what the showman involves. Hope it made sense to you, but I'm super excited about it. Ages 5 to 21, if you're in the show pig industry, that's the place to be to compete in showmanship. And it's all going to be online through our great friends, Next Level Livestock Camps, the virtual stock shows, showpig.com is part of it. And of course, you're going to hear later from Tarbell Marketing and Design. Yeah, um, I will say it was quite the production. I'm glad I got to make the trip to Ohio. And uh, as we recorded this episode, I was I was still in Ohio, so still am in Ohio technically. Yes, as we're recording this, uh, the the showman announcement, Trevor. You know, we haven't gotten any questions yet, right. so I'm assuming we spelled it out. I thought we did a nice job personally. It was uh, kind of our first opportunity to be in front of a TV screen. Um, in a live setting, right? But uh, you know, what else is in front of a TV screen in a live setting? Walt webcasting. Oh, oh, nice. There's, yeah, man. Uh, I really do enjoy segways. Um, yeah. Listen, we've been telling about you, uh, telling you about, yeah, telling you about words. Not telling about you. Uh, we haven't been telling anybody about you, but what we have been talking about. For over a year now, is the benefits of staying sane while watching Walton Webcasting. And if you, like us, um, do not uh, venture out and get to go to livestock shows, mostly because we can't have any at the current moment, um, these virtual stock shows that they're putting on is pretty cool. Very cool. Probably the closest thing to the real deal as we've had. And they're going to have one again this weekend. I know the entries are probably closed by now. Probably closed by now, but uh, another one. They're going to have another one, DJ Khaled voice. Yeah, I, I and and just the industry as a whole uh, coming together to, to do these things is pretty cool. It's really cool. I, I really have enjoyed uh, just the live feel of getting to watch a judge evaluate stock and talk them on the mic. Yep. Love it. So um, everyone should send Walton Webcasting a thank you. I, that'd be nice. I saw there was that'd a virtual nice. thank you card they got today. Yeah. That was nice on Facebook. Um, WaltWebcasting.com. Even if you uh, miss those shows, just subscribe to the archives, and you're going to be yeah. able to see how these uh, Bracket Buster, uh, the Bracket-style shows are happening. It's yeah. super cool. Uh, and then if Greg, of course, is doing Off the Road with Greg now. Off the Road off the road with Greg. We need to change the jingle. Yeah. So Off the Road with Greg. <laughs> Uh, speaking of show pigs, uh, showpig.com folks is alive and well, probably better than it's ever been. Uh, if you are on the selling platform, make sure you get on their mailing list. Uh, that includes an e-blast sent to about 18,000 inboxes. And I'm telling you, that's where you got to be. There's some spring specials going on to get on their directory link, the breeder directory link 225 for the entire year. Yeah. Uh, that's where everybody goes if they want to know where your show pigs are at. If you're on that list, you're going to be in front of thousands and thousands of people with showpig.com. 
18,000 inboxes is a whole lot. That's a lot of people. I mean, I don't know how many emails you send in a day, but to be able to send to 18,000 inboxes, uh, <laughs> whoa. Yeah. So a lot of new things happening. We talked about the showman. Um, we talk about the cool things that Walton are doing. Now we've introduced some new things to our incredible listeners of the Stock Talk Nation. We've got new segments, folks. We do have new segments. Um, Later in this episode, you will hear a brand new segment, still brought to you by Brett Halford, but one that we got to thinking on, you know, what can Stock Talk do to continue to pioneer? And so we got a couple new segments for you, uh, still brought to you by the same great folks that have been with us from the beginning. But let's uh, let's dive into this one, Trev, because I think this is a fun one mm-hmm. and something that... Uh, will just allow us to kick back a little bit. Right. So um, I just thought of this. We don't have any any jingles, new segments, new new music. Yeah, new segments, new music. So we'll figure it out. if you have any musical talent out there listening, we need something not copyrighted. It's got to be royalty-free. got to be original. Yep. We won't pay you for it. We won't. Yeah. We'll, we'll definitely we'll, give you a shout-out. Yeah. We'll do that. So if you've got something, maybe we can use it. Uh, it's got to be this week. But just something for fun. And if you don't, we'll probably come up with something ourselves. But brand new segment, segment number one of the two new segments that we have. It's called Hats Off. Hats Off. Not like topics from a hat, but still brought to you by our great friends at Fierce Threads and Big Paw. Listen, you heard me talk the last couple of weeks about the serious subject that is suicide. It's not easy to talk about. No, it's not. It's not. Um, But I think... There was one person uh, that put it simply, uh, yet poetically, at the same time, and that's our good friend, Mr. Will Winter, when he said, just be nice. It don't, don't take no talent to just be nice. And so Big Paul was inspired by that. They created the Be Nice line of apparel, um, highlighted by the semicolon, which we all know uh, is kind of the symbol for suicide awareness. And so... If you haven't already, please go check out Big Paul Lifestyle Company uh, and help support their mission uh, in, in suicide prevention That's and right. awareness. So, new segment is going to be you and I, Corey, pumped up about so it. I'm so excited about this. First segment of two, uh, we'll get to the uh, second segment with our guest this week. Um, so hats off. What we're going to do is Corey and I every week are going to tip our hats. Our hats come off to somebody or we can flip it and put it right back on for something we didn't like that week. Yeah. So uh, I'm gonna start. I uh, your idea, but I'm gonna I'm gonna like I'm gonna roll with Let's it. Let's do it. My hats go off. My hat goes off to all these incredible families adapting to what we're doing. There are thousands and thousands of people doing these online shows. Is it absolutely perfect in the way that we can't be in a live? The live shows are perfect, right? Everybody wants to be at a live show. Yes, but this is the closest thing to perfection, and your patience is a greatly appreciated by. All of those folks trying to make things happen. So my hats go off to you folks who are still maintaining um, the great thing that is the stock, stock show in- industry. Um, I am uh, I'm really proud to be a part of it and just to keep the nose to the grindstone and keep rolling forward with exhibiting your livestock online because eventually everything's going to be lifted. We're going to get back to normal mm-hmm. and then we're going to have real shows. My hats go off to you folks. Keep rolling. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to stake on a, on a similar path here. Okay. My hat goes off to you, show parent, 
videoing these mm. livestock virtual shows. Uh, you spend countless hours trying to figure out how to scroll through Facebook, sharing memes, liking things, yet it's taken you so long to adapt to develop the quite uh, strenuous video skills it takes. And so I'll tell you this. We will try not to make technology difficult for you. So those technologically unsavvy parents who have been forced to be technologically savvy, again, my hat goes off to you. There you go. All right. Hats off. <laughs> Hats off. Uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. I, I'm I'm probably going to take a comedic approach to this, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, it could be serious, though. Uh, that's what we're going to have to adapt to every week. They're not going to know what's coming. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to do this week to week basis. It's not going to be scripted, but something that we notice, um, throughout the week, uh, from now until next Wednesday, we're going to have a new one, uh, in every intro. So of course we, uh, would love to thank our folks there at, um, Fierce Threads and Big Paul Lifestyle Company, uh, for sponsoring this segment that has now evolved. So evolution, revolution. Now, it's it's nice to be a pioneer. Um, uncharted territories, though. Yes. Yep. But uh, we're excited about these new segments. And I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one that's within the episode. Yeah. Very pumped about that. So uh, we have an incredible guest uh, that we've, we've had on the list uh, for quite some time. And somebody that I think is absolutely killing it in the show pig industry when it comes to uh, marketing, when it comes to professionalism. And as you were going to hear... In this episode, Jordan Leatherman absolutely gets after it. Uh, mm-hmm. If he does not know something, he makes sure he finds somebody that does. Uh, when you hear his story about how he took a very long and incredible trip down through the South to study the market before he actually started selling pigs in that. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Um, it's the title of the episode. Do your homework. Do your homework. And has a lot of advice for the young kids. I don't care if you have two sounds or 200. We get into that discussion. So, Corey Edge, please introduce Jordan Leatherman. Well, we're talking about a guy here that didn't have an ag background as far as colleges are concerned, but grew up in it. So, we're also talking about a guy who married arguably one of the best showmen of all time, and think about having to deal with that every day of your life. (laughs) So, we're also talking about a guy then that when he puts his mind to something, he makes it happen. And if he can't make it happen, he still does his best to try and make it happen. Anyway, okay, welcome to the show, Mr. Jordan Leatherman. First and foremost, Jordan, uh, just tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you're at right now. Yeah, so uh, Jordan Leatherman, uh, my wife Katie, and then we've got two kids, a two-year-old son Colin, and then our uh, one-year-old daughter Elliot. Uh, we live in uh, Perigold, Arkansas now, uh, where Katie's originally from, and um, I'm originally from Chipewaunee, Indiana, and uh, that's where, after we got married, it's been about five years now, I guess, um, uh, that's where we originally started and, and uh, owned and operate Final Drive Genetics. Um, roughly 50 sows plus, um, when we moved, we cut back a little bit, um, got a few boars, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, pretty much what we do. And then what we do from a day to day operation is running, running the hog farm. So cool. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of, a lot of kids dream of getting to raise show pigs full time. 
Yeah. Uh, I know there's a lot that, that, uh, ask us that question, you know, is, is how, how can a, how can a person that's fired up for it, make it a career? Uh, I think it takes some special people in the industry to, to handle that. So, um, kind of cool to have, uh, a younger, another younger, uh, guest on that's kind of got that kind of a background now. Um, and, uh, I think really an interesting deal because you guys, uh, took your entire sow herd and moved it states away. Um, but, but we'll get into that here in a little bit, but, uh, I kind of want to know how did FDG become what it is and where did Jordan Leatherman get the, get the passion for the show pig industry? Yeah. So, um, like many, I mean, my mom grew up on a diversified ag farm. I mean, my grandpa row cropped, uh, they milked dairy cows to raise fat cattle, had some hogs, uh, um, in terms of, you know, selling for commercial ships one at one time, I'm sure somebody listening to this will say I'm wrong, but I, I believe it was like the largest weanling pig sale in the country at one time, the ships one auction on Wednesdays. I mean, I remember as a little boy, I mean, just tons and tons of weanling pigs This is obviously, you know, way back when in terms of before integrators and growers and all that kind of stuff, obviously that dried up a bunch, but, you know, we were kind of right in the heart there uh, of that. So, you know, grandpa, raised a little bit of everything. My mom showed steers uh, competitively. Her and her sisters uh, showed cattle and steers. Um, and then my one of my aunts got a little more competitive and, and shown some sheep, you know, later there in, in their show career. Um, my dad actually was uh, was a town kid, uh, had no, you know, ag background outside of, of dating my mom and, and things like that. And so um, after they got married, the unique thing about my dad is there's, sometimes there's people that just, I think, have a natural instinct of, of raising livestock and then just have it. To either you have it or you don't. But my dad kind of, you know, outside the help with my grandpa in terms of, you uh, um, you know, providing some facilities and some insight and stuff like that. My dad kind of started from, from scratch. My, my sister, the, her first year of 4-H, um, actually been very early 90s. Um, they went and bought a $75 pig from a local Amish guy in the Warner County Fair. Uh, so <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, kind of crazy, you know, that, that that's the how, I guess, our beginnings of our show career for my sisters. And, and uh, you know, that kind of obviously sparked my dad's interest in, in raising some. And, and so started raising some pigs. And um, actually the very first Yorkshire um, he bought from, um, Ralph Bowling, I don't know if people know Ralph's an absolute legend there in Indiana and, and across the country in my mind, just in terms of raising show pigs and, and, uh, one of the best guys you'll, you'll ever meet, uh, and nicest and hardworking guys there is, but uh, dad bought a, a little baby gilt from Ralph York Gilt, and uh, her first litter she went on and raised the champion York uh, boar at the Indiana State Fair. And I think her next litter uh, would have been my first year for age. She would raise the reserve champion uh, York Gilt at the junior show. Um, that'd have been like mid nineties um, would have been my first year, and so that kind of catapulted things. A crazy side story to that is uh, I was I'd sold a couple of boars to Apex Sires and at the time they had um, um, their boars housed at Ralph's place and I went to Ralph's uh, went there just to look at boars and stuff and Ralph remembered the exact pen um, that that guilt my dad bought was in the exact barn the exact pen everything you know he re- remembered that it was it was kind of a neat uh, <laughs> neat story um, from there so uh, but anyway sorry to digress a little bit there but. Um, so my, you know, my dad started raising some, we're there in Shipswana, um, and, uh, my grandpa had a massive heart attack in the early nineties and kind of forced him to uh, off the farm just in terms of, uh, shutting down the operation. I mean, just, uh, uh, couldn't, couldn't farm anymore and things of that nature. And so dad kind of 
merged in a little bit with uh, Lambright uh, and J&K Genetics at the time, uh, early there in the mid-90s, and uh, kind of partnered up with Keith and, and did some stuff. So there about the mid-90s, uh, you know, the show pig industry was still not, you know, had taken off. In 96, I believe it was, Keith bought a board by the name of White House for 36000 That was a record-selling board at the time. Um, and then 97, he would have bought a board from uh, Gunlin uh, that they called Jordan at the time. It was 52,000. That was a world record selling board there, been housed at High Point. Um, and then there from on, it kind of blew, you know, the show pig industry blew up in terms of record selling boards there in the late 90s, early 2000s. So it was kind of neat. Uh, it was in the heart of it, you know, with Lambright buying some of those boards. Dad and him were partnered up and had tons of success there in the mid to late 90s and early 2000s, I believe. Raised the champion, uh, Grand Barrett, Indiana State Fair in 96. They sold a bread sow to Malcolm's in 97, that uh, bear out of that one, Indiana in 97. Then they would raise the reserve Grand Barrett, uh, Indiana State Fair in 98. So there's like a three-year stretch there. They had a heck of a run there just at the State Fair. Um, and then, you know, Oklahoma and uh, down south and across the Midwest, raising some hot-dollar boards and, and things of that nature. So it was kind of – in in the in it uh, in the heart of it, you know, growing up in terms of the beginning, really evolution of hot dollar boars and show pigs and things of that nature. Um, it's crazy. They used to host a, a live sale uh, for the year. It was April? It was always about around my around my birthday. It was like April twenty third uh, was our live sale. You know, by now everybody's been done buying show pigs yeah. for two months by April twenty third. Yeah. That was where we had our live sale, and it was kind of a neat deal there. We we hosted it and. Um, Earl Peffer came up and brought some few pigs in. That's a, a name probably a lot of guys don't know uh, who that is, but Earl in his own right uh, was an incredibly good uh, older hogman there from um, Noble County area, Indiana. But uh, so, you know, grew up and I, we showed a little bit, um, you know, we had some success there at county fair level, um, a couple times North American, a few times at state fair. Um, we, uh, you know, between uh, – Corey probably knows Spike, uh, you know, with Lambright Club Lambs there. Obviously, growing up, me and me and Brian together, we actually, our dads, you know, didn't just give us pigs to go show. We had to buy them out of our sale, what we wanted. You know, we offered everything to our customers first and had to buy ours back out. And so we always, a lot of times, buy those greener ones for, you know, cheaper that would come out of good litters and stuff like that. But I played a lot of sports growing up. Um um, competitively between soccer and basketball before I get criticized too much. My high school was too small. We didn't have football. So <laughs> soccer was my only fall sport option. Besides, you know, I guess cross country and, you know, running long distance isn't really that appealing. But uh, so, so we didn't get to show at the state fair a bunch because uh, fortunately it was, you know, was playing on the upper varsity level and stuff. And if you miss practices, we, you weren't playing the good first chunk of the season and stuff. And so, uh, probably didn't show, you know, there as much just because of athletics that got involved. But uh, but anyway, um, so dad, once I went off to college, my sisters are a little older than me. They'd been off to college. Dad kind of uh, that wasn't dad's full time job. He was kind of consulting with Keith and doing some partnership stuff. And they had tons of success, you know, at that time. And and um, we uh, uh, dad kind of backed out once I went to college and uh, I actually went to Huntington University, kind of went a non-ag route related. Um, I had some athletic scholarship to play there. I actually decided not to play, but they have an incredible business uh, school. And now it's actually, they have an ag school at Huntington University. They're just a small school and uh, just around Fort Wayne, Indiana area, but incredibly a uh, good, uh, good business program. And so um, where, where, where we live at, and that's what my dad still does. And, and, uh, probably like 80, 85% of the RVs are manufactured in my county and the county next to us. So 
um, in, in Elkhart and LaGrange County. And so I just assumed I was my sister and, and brother-in-law at the time were involved in the RV industry very heavily with the businesses they owned. And, and I just kind of assumed I was going to go back and be selling, selling RVs or, or you know, being some asset uh, factor in, in that. And so obviously still, um, you know, still stayed involved a little bit on the, in, in show pigs, uh, uh, many, you know, you know, Jackson Johnson, the guy, guy Jackson there, uh, in Warren, Indiana was not too far from Huntington. When I was at school, I used to go down there and, and help around just a little bit farm, maybe some of their sales and stuff like that. So still kind of stayed a little bit involved. Um, and then when I graduated college is when the economy tanked there in 09. I mean, it was, you know, decimated in terms of, you know, unemployment rate in the RV industry it was a, at all time high and, and, um, just all across the country. And so, um, I, you know, didn't know totally what I was going to do coming out. Uh, you know, I had some other opportunities and things of that nature and, and still kind of had the itch. I turned down some really good jobs, which my mom in, in the finance world, which my mom at the time was not real pleased with me when I turned those <laughs> down coming out of college and, uh, kind of sat and waited a little bit. And, and I still had an itch to the ag deal. I wanted to get back involved in and if you didn't go and, and have an ag degree, it's sometimes hard to get an ag related job. Just, you know, you're competing with guys that have ag degrees from ag schools, you know. And and so I um, actually end up landing on a, a job with the Hartford Livestock Department, uh, which is uh, we insure, was the largest livestock insurance company in the country. Um, and so I had a very fortunate the job that I landed covered a large section of the country from the Midwest to the East Coast. We insured packing plants, auction markets, big commercial farms. Um, got to go to the PBR World Finals. We had Bushwhacker insured, actually, the Buck and Bull. Oh, that's that way cool. Neat. Yeah. It was, what was, it was, he, what was he insured for? Uh, I, it, was, it was like a half million plus, I think, something like Jeez. that. I mean, it was it was a good chunk. More than any jump <laughs> in, you know, would probably be insured for. But it was cool. You know, crazy side story on that. You know, it's uh, coming down, I had an early flight out of out of Vegas. To, to I was just there for the middle part of the week and come down early in the uh, hotel um, to walk. You got to go through the casino part there at South Point to go to get to the airport. And JB Monty is still sitting there playing. It's like four four thirty in the morning because I got an early flight. I mean that guy, you know, just got done riding bulls that night. He's still playing, you know, uh, doing whatever else, you know, there at the cards <laughs> at the table and stuff, and and probably got to be up by eight doing some you know media pub and stuff so it, it was that was that was a pretty neat neat experience so uh, i got you know at that time i got a, a really good uh, realm in terms of the commercial side of the world and stuff but while that was going on i had a little cousin that uh you know, just wanted to maybe start showing some pigs a little bit and stuff so we got him a couple pigs and we're helping out and uh and uh dad and i kind of got the itch like hey let's you know maybe let's let's get a sow raise a litter and uh actually the very first sow we bought back uh bought a, a red sow from uh because uh, dad was still studying up on sea stock edge. I mean, just the genetic side of things was his passion, just studying genetics, studying all that. And uh, so we, we actually, you know, he's like, hey, I think these Amen daughters, which Amen was an alias son that uh, Merrick had. Alias was a very prominent, uh, mm-hmm. 164, 164, those alias sons, but alias himself was a very good female sire. Amen was an incredible female sire. Dad was really impressed with, you know, what Merrick was doing at the time. And and uh, so we went out to Merrick's and, and went through sows and, and picked up an a uh, an a uh, actually it was, she was a power surge alias bred sow bred to amen and and come back and, and kind of got our got our start there with just you know one or two sows I was just using a buddy's uh buddy's bar my good buddy Nick Mishler was using his bar um, and uh, and just had a couple sows and and it was like well 
we ended up going um, on the backside of my grandpa's property there where the old farm was and, and build a little facility. And it was only big enough. It was awesome. I'd love to still have it today, but it was, you know, it was big enough to run 10, 12 styles. We had five firing crates, a little nursery, a little show barn um, right there. And, uh, you know, still working full time doing that and, and didn't necessarily have a, you know, dad and I were just doing a hobby on the side, having fun with it. And, you know, you know, down, you know, in my mind, I was like, man, it'd be great to do this long term, you know, in terms of doing this for a living. But at the time, you know, in, in the moment, you're kind of just thinking, let's uh, just doing it, having fun, raising them things with my dad. And we kind of got to the point where like, it was like, man, it's hard to keep keeper guilds. It's hard to bring stuff back in when you're so limited on space. And, um, you know, Lambright was uh, getting out of the, the show pig deal a little bit. Yeah, they had had a couple of herdsmen's and, and they just kind of ran through and they were ready to get out and they were, you know, delving into the sheep deal even bigger. And they got, if you know, Lambrights at all, they got so many irons in the fire with just so much going on, but you know, they had incredible facilities there and stuff. And so kind of made a deal with, with Keith and Brian there, we kept a handful of their sows. We partnered with them on, I ran them sows and they let me use their facilities. And so we jumped from 10 to, to 30 and then you know how that will, you know, progressively um, kind of grow in, into that and in there. And so that was kind of really, um, I guess how Final Drive Genetics came to be and, and came to start in terms of um, there for a while. We just had a few sows and then it just kind of, you know, with, with success and selling and winning shows and then getting a little more, you know, in terms of um, demand for your product. To, you know, we, we needed to grow a little bit in terms of sow numbers to to really see the opportunity and take advantage of it and keep growing a little bit. So right. that kind of leads us up to to where we were at, at, at when we we're still living in Indiana. So, so how long was final drive in Indiana before you moved to Arkansas where you're at now? You know, we, I guess really, obviously you, if you're going to be, um, uh, technical, this would really be prior 10 year anniversary, 2020. I think we established in 2010. Okay. Um, uh, but like I said, we, <laughs> that was one or two sows for a yeah. couple of years, then yeah. 10 sows so, for a few with, years. With so the realistic brand, yeah. Yeah, we, we haven't had, you know, that many sows for that long a stretch in terms of numbers where we're at now. Um, we would have moved, it'll be, can't, can't believe it already is, but it'll, it'll be moved two years ago. Um, so 18, we would, the summer of 18, we moved to, moved to Arkansas. Um, so, you know, technically we were there for seven or eight years in Indiana, okay. um, uh, you know, in some form or fashion. So let's talk about demographics a little bit. And we've discussed this maybe with other species, but, you know, raising livestock in the Midwest uh, can be quite different from uh, maybe the South and out in the West, too. So did you notice any differences in terms of managing practices with your sow herd and uh, just the difference in terms of Midwest compared to where you're at now? And how'd that transition happen? It was brutal, if I'm going to be quite <laughs> frankly honest. Uh, uh, I moved in the summer of 18. And if you know anything about being in, in, uh, Arkansas or, or that section of the country, Louisiana, Arkansas, um, in the Southwest, the heat and humidity in July and August is absolutely insane. Yeah. So we get this grand idea to pick up all our sows and, and move, you know, move facilities and just, just the, um, the, the, the transition of moving sows. And I had talked to some guys, you know, Lambright, I talked to Brian a little bit. They moved, they bought some sheep flocks and moved them across the country and, and said, hey, that takes, it takes a year for them things to really get acclimated. A good buddy of mine, Blaine Rogers, uh, uh, moved from California to Missouri, um, moved his cattle operation there. And so I tried to talk to some guys and get some idea on, you know, what, what to expect. But until you really get in it and, and live it, it's, uh, 
it's uh, you don't know what you're getting into. So it, it was a tough, tough move and transition. You know, lost some litters, lost some. You know, lost sows burning on the way down on the trailer. You know, we were right in our uh, getting ready to breed sows there July and our fair sows July and August for our, our fall fall trade. And and uh, so it, it was a uh, transition. There was times I was uh, you know kind of wondering what in the world did I get myself into or what was I thinking? Um, setting up facilities, you know, just in terms of when it's uh, 90 degrees at eight o'clock in the morning, the heat and humidity, and then, you know, you have the heat and humidity. I bought a double L from Lackey and brought it over just to get, get us started and stuff like that. And uh, uh, just getting that building set up in terms of uh, uh, farrowing sows and keeping them comfortable. And so, um, you know, I t- uh, Cobbs were, you know, very influential and Stephen Aaron helped me in terms of just, you know, talking about actually Doug that passed away um, there that worked for Stephen Aaron for a long time. Um, he kind of managed a lot of their fairing double L's and fairing operations in terms of heating and cooling and stuff like that in the summer. So, you know, I picked up the phone, called Doug and say, Hey man, I'm, what do I do here? And so yeah. those guys were actually, you know, you know, welcome me down with open arms in terms of that, in terms of just helping out in terms of adapting, you know, Aaron's, Help me with tidbits on what they do in terms of breeding sows uh, in, in the heat and humidity. Because when you're breeding in July and August and September, you know, back for winter litters, your conception rate's just going to not be near as right. good. Um, you know, with with that, so it, it's been an, an adapt, uh, you know, adapting thing. Um, I actually kind of modeled my sow barn after my bu- uh, buddy of mine, Brock Harris in Oklahoma. Just his kind of heat that he's dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, in Indiana, we're really used to everything being enclosed, insulated, ready for four or five months of, you know, freezing temperatures and everything like that. I think the coldest it got this winter one night was 17 degrees, you know, and so, um, and then from there it's, you know, you can get warm and, and really hot and humid. So it, it was an adjustment. There, there's no doubt just in terms of, in terms of the, just the, the weather and, and, and adjusting. I would say it's taken my sows. We're finally now, I would say running a hundred percent just in terms of those things being fully adapted and fully, you know, as far as breeding farrowing and, and we're kind of finally in a, in a routine and a rhythm now. So it's, it, it's been a, it's been a transition and, uh, you know, something, um, I don't know if I'd do it again, but I, I, I would because it's been, it's been great, but it's, uh, you know, for the reasons we moved and everything, it's, it's been good in terms of the growth of our business and, and whatnot. But, uh, um, it was a struggle and, and definitely a learning. Oh, I could imagine. Sure. Now, did most of your customers from that you, uh, established in Indiana, did you see much following? I mean, obviously you gained new ones, uh, but did did most of those folks carry down through there, or how did that, how did that work as far as the marketing plan goes? Yeah, we we have to an extent. I mean, you know, honestly, we we, we always sold hogs in Indiana, and, and we had several very good customers in Indiana we had success with. But um, we were fortunate. Um, to kind of be an early adapter, you know, I don't want to say an early adapter in online deal, but kind of mastering the, the just the photography of taking online photos, the marketing behind the online uh, things, and it really helped grow our business across the country. Right. Um, when we first started, you know, without having much winners and success, we were selling pigs from California, Texas, all over, and so we didn't sell. I mean, we sold pigs in Indiana. Don't get me wrong, but that, that was a big reason with the move in terms of. For whatever reason, our our market shifted to Louisiana with Katie's dad being here and, and his uh, influence in Arkansas. We sold a lot in Arkansas, but Texas, Oklahoma was a huge uh, market for us. California has been a good market. Even I mean, Colorado out out west. 
And so, you know, I've had some families that we, we kind of did one of my main families in Indiana there that we had a lot of success with was kind of graduating out when we, when we made that move. And so, uh, you know, we still had some county fair families we helped out and things of that nature. But uh, um, it wasn't, you know, Arkansas here where we live at with this, the, I guess, the, the market and the, our number of customers in one area. We didn't necessarily have that in Indiana. We were very diversified in terms of our where we marketed pigs and, and where we sold them all to uh, all at. So, I mean, if it would have been for Trent Law, I, don't, I mean, that, Trent's a big reason why we, we saw, you know, had a lot of success early there because we were selling them and, and moving them all over the country. And we were probably one of the early ones with Trent in terms of sending numbers to really help, you know, Trent get rolling and going and transport livestock across the country because we, we sent as many with him as anybody in those early days. So, uh, from that standpoint. So. Yeah. And when you guys moved, I mean, what amazed me, and I, I kind of told the story of going down there and, and getting to sort that show. Um, but, you know, when we were visiting, what amazes me is the area you moved to. I mean, there's there's no slouch when it comes to, to competitive livestock breeders in that area. I mean, you talk about, you kind of talked about the 60 mile radius around your place. It's just incredible with, with just the amount of high quality uh, livestock breeders that there are in multiple species. It's, it's insane. Yeah. You know, we're 20, you know, 20 miles from Cobbs and obviously um, my wife grew up as successful as anybody in this industry in terms of uh, winning hog shows and showmanships. all you know, at every level and, and obviously Cobbs are very influential in that in terms of uh, the proximity and, and, and my father-in-law and Steve graduated high school together. And so, you know, they, you know, in terms of those guys being right there in the, in, in the backyard, uh, so to speak, I mean, the, the, the footprint they have in this area is incredible. And, and there's a lot of good, you know, there's, there's goat rate, you know, the, the goat show at our state fair is off the charts. Good. The, the sheep show, you talk to some big sheep guys, they call it kind of a mini major. I mean, every big sheep, um, uh, jock or whatever they want to be called trader and, and everything is at the sheep show at Arkansas state fair, because it's not a kill show. They can take those on to, you know, those go on to Royal Denver, uh, North American, go on to Texas majors later on. So the sheep and goat shows at our state fair are tremendously good, but you know, there's just good, 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 uh, you know, very, very diversified ag, you know, here in terms of rice, cotton, you know, you got a lot of guys raising, you know, cattle just with the land, the land that we have, uh, you know, cattle is very prominent here in the northern part of Arkansas and not as much, you know, maybe on the show end of things, but commercial cattle guys, we got right. some Angus producers here in the area and then get over other parts. But, uh, you know, Arkansas is a very diversified ag state in terms of uh, terms of animals, in terms of and also crop, you know, their home is all corn and soybeans and and, um, you know, alfalfa, hey, here it's, there's no alfalfa. It's, you know, it's hay, it's Bermuda hay. And then there's lots of, you know, the county that we live in, I think it's the largest rice producing uh, county in the state, like 90,000 acres of rice or something like that. And there's, you know, cotton and, and things of that nature. So it, it was a very different, uh, um, you know, different form of ag, but still very, very ag heavy area. Yeah, let's going to pause. Uh, let's pause this real fast because Trevor and I have an exciting new partner to Stock Talk Podcast, and that is Jace Tarbell with Tarbell Marketing and Design. If you have not seen the TM&D brand, you have not seen good work because Tarbell Marketing and Design has a mission to provide top-notch customer experiences for all graphic design and marketing needs. Uh, did you see our showman banners? Whoa. Yeah. Guy's got talent. Um, did you see some of the logos he's been developing recently on his social media platforms? 
Whoa. Loving it. Yeah. A new addition to the team. New addition to the team. Um, you know, he wants the best customer experience and, and he's going to make sure that all the details of, of their work is at the forefront. Just so you know, for all those that may be curious about getting some custom marketing and design work done, you can receive 15% off if you are a new customer to Tarbell Marketing Design if you mention that you heard this ad. So contact Tarbell Marketing and Design today. Get 15% off if you're a new customer. Incredible work. Thanks for joining the team. Let's get back to the show. So one of the things Trevor and I got to talking uh, as we were kind of putting together an outline of what we wanted to talk about with you, I thought one of the good things, and you touched on this as far as just adopting uh, some some early uh, practices of of online picture taking, that sort of thing. One of the things we want to talk about with you is uh, is different selling strategies and then the stages of those strategies. I think, um, you know, as a program, obviously you guys evolved from from taking pigs to, to live sales, to selling off the farm, to online sales, uh, so on and so forth. So kind of talk through and maybe give us your thoughts on, um, you know, how does a program or when should a program try to take the next steps um, to take on different sales, whether that be out of the barn, uh, online, a bid board sale, customer appreciation, consignments, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to just just self-awareness of where you're at and uh, where you're at in your program and uh, where you're at in terms of your quality, your animals, where you're at if you're trying to grow, if you're established, if, you know, if you're just first starting out, you got to make a name for yourself. I, I think right now would be the hardest time um, to to raise and try to start from scratch and ground zero, um, you know, easy in terms of where we're at in social media and marketing and things of that nature in terms of that. But it, it is, you know, in, in terms of um, getting started and getting a name out there for yourself would be tough. So I think, you know, those customer appreciation sales are great for guys first starting out in terms of, of getting an animal presented that you think is high quality and, and you know, whether it be a, a very good feeder sees that thing or a breeder or whatever and can maybe buy that, that can help get your name on the map. Um, you know, I think if, you know, in terms of selling off the farm for locally to get kind of get your local market established, maybe get some county fair wins under your belt and, and then grow and diversify from there and, and, and build up. I mean, I think if you're going to jump into the online game, you've got to do your homework in terms. It still amazes me. I, I know, you know, people, there's tons of online sales, but it still amazes me that the some of the quality of the animals and, and not, not that the animal's bad, but the, the, I guess the picture quality, the pen setup quality, the lighting quality, you know, go on there, look who's having success selling them and, and look at their, just look at their setup, look at their pictures, look at their lighting, their setup, or, you know, maybe give them a call. Hey, what are you doing? What kind of, you know, camera, there's some awesome camera guys, you know, hook was on here, a VJX guy that, you know, there's awesome camera guys that, you know, are doing stuff and can help you out in terms of what kind of camera you, you know, to use and utilize. You don't have to have the highest dollar camera, but I can tell you if you go buy a good camera, it'll pay for itself in your first online sale mm-hmm. um, many times over. Um, so it, it amazes me if you're going to have an online sale, do your homework in terms of uh, in terms of, you know, the quality, because if you put an average product up there and your pigs may be great, but if, you know, they're 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 dirty, your pen's dirty, your backdrop's dirty, the, you know, shavings are junk, it's going to be hard to hard to sell them, um, you know, in in terms of that. So, um, you know, I think um, 
the the big board and, and if you get to get invited and that was a big reason we moved was we were getting invited to you know several of these prominent live sales in, in Texas and Oklahoma in the fall and and um you know just the the ability to get there and get back within a, a shorter drive within a weekend and, and still be able to function and run the farm you know we're still in a size and stage it's just me and my wife you know running the thing you know my father-in-law will help at times as well too but we don't have four or five workers working for us. So I can't be gone for five days down, come back, be home for a day and turn and go to those live sales. So, you know, if you get invited to those live sales, um, you know, some of those invite sales, uh, be aware, look, you know, if you can go in a year or two advanced, maybe anticipate and you might hopefully get into one. What do they look like? What's the presentation like? How are they set up? What size are those animals in terms of, you know, sometimes some people will take pigs that are way too big to a live sale or, or maybe even way too small. You know, how are they prepped? Are they clipped? You know, are we, are we getting them fed up? Do you, you go to that live sale and just fill their water and feed her and walk away and come back and hope they look good the time of the sift or whatever you, you know, set up. So I think just, uh, just being aware and, and, uh, doing some homework and, um, and knowing where you're at, you know, we, we don't sell out of the out of the out of the barn um, privately right now. We do everything um, online, and at times it probably loses us a few customers. But for us to be the fairest, with with us being this spread out in terms of where we sell pigs, I think we had a sale this year that we had. I it was a, it was a smaller sale. I think we sold sixteen or seventeen head to thirteen different states. Wow! Jeez. And so. We, uh, we, you know, for, if I just open the barn and, and sell the first pig out to the first person that comes, it's not really a fair advantage to my customers that have been with us for a long time. So for us, the online sale is the fairest way right now that we can trade those animals. And as we grow and get bigger, I'm not saying, we, you know, we may set aside a group of them that, hey, those are online. And then, our, you know, we may sell some out of the, out of the, out of the barn and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, we're going to have transition and do a, a virtual bid board sale here in place of our live sale, uh, which, you know, that was, that was a big thing when um, I was still in Indiana four years ago when we uh, first put on our live sale um, in, in Arkansas. We, our Arkansas market was growing. We'd had some success at the state fair there, um, you know, and I was like, I want to do something different than just selling online. And, and uh, so we picked up 80 head of pigs in two trailers, drove down 12, 13 hours to, to Conway, Arkansas, and uh, set up our and set up a live sale there. And, you know, when you're setting up a live sale, drive that kind of time and stuff in, in a place that you're, you know, that, that wasn't my home. But, you know, we were trying to establish something there. Um, that was a huge risk. And I was really nervous. Nobody was going to show up and buy pigs. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that first year, that first sale, we had a great crowd. Um uh, our we first that first year that first sale we sold the Grand Barrett Arkansas State Fair out of there out of that first sale and so that thing's kind of grown and, and keeps getting bigger and keeps getting better. I got a buddy of mine um, in in Louisiana, one of my best friends, Clyde Gravois. Um, got a few sows together. He raises some sows down there and, and uh, he comes up and brings up a few for that. But it's predominantly, you know, we'll sell 75 plus head of our own at that sale. So with everything going on, we're going to transition that to a virtual bid board sale at the farm. Um, and so it'll be a little bit different, but uh, you know, that's kind of, I guess my breakdown a little bit on, on selling strategies and, and things of that nature um, in, in terms of, in different markets and, and, and depend on where you're at um, in your program, I guess. Well, you couldn't be uh, more spot on with doing your homework. Um, I've been to a few of my clients, uh, customers, and I show up and they're, they're dirty, their backdrop's not ready. And uh, I've learned uh, very recently to give them my own homework of list of things that I, Hey, they've got to look like this. The lighting has to be this way. I'll bring my camera 
But something that is always missed is those pigs don't go to a picture pen and set up. Uh, they got to kind of play around in there. There's practice involved. There's so much that goes into a live sale. Uh, and you're one of the best at every hog looks the same. Uh, they're polished. You know, there's, they're, they're just right. Uh, so if you're listening, uh, just check out what, uh, what Jordan's doing with Final Drive. That, those are the pictures you need to study. Um, and if you're jumping into the online thing like we kind of have to uh, this time of year, uh, definitely listen to what he said. And I want to kind of uh, pick your brain on what, what the market is right now. And um, it seems like everybody has a sow or two or three. Uh, and you can easily do that with some of the the, the hog species because you can throw them in a corner of a barn and they're good to go. My question to you is uh, there's a lot of people who say the market is so diluted because of that. What do you think about um, that term? And what do you think everybody has a sow what do you think that's doing to the market? I think it's awesome. I think it's great. I think uh, I'll, I'll spin it and, and say it's an opportunity. Um, it's an opportunity for established breeders to maybe are, you know, you're, if you're selling some higher end keeper gilts, um, that maybe all of a sudden they're worth a little more because somebody's going to buy that and use that as their starter project. Maybe selling some bred females. That's a great opportunity for somebody to go get a, a proven bred female, jump in, start their program. This is America. Everybody has the same chance to, to grow something. You know, I think, um, you know, some of those are going to phase out and weed out. And, and if it's an opportunity for you to raise animals with your kid and, and enjoy that experience and stuff, hey, that's great. We all started from somewhere. I don't care if you've got 400 sows, if you've got four sows, you've got 50 sows, whatever have you. You started from somewhere. We started with one sow, uh, realistically, and, and grew that into it. So, you know, for, for people that have 100 sows or 200 sows and are saying, oh, this thing's diluted down and it's harder to sell this maybe bottom to lower half of these things because everybody's got one. Hey, you were there at one time, you, you know, right. unless you bought a sow herd that was 100, 200 sows already established and, and financially jumped in that way. We all started from scratch somewhere. So I, I would rather encourage those people to, to keep shrugging along. If you look 10 years ago, there's a, a, a big number of guys that were very uh, on the high end of this thing that either aren't involved in the industry anymore or have gotten out or, you know, um, so there's always room and stuff for new innovative people coming up and, and coming through. We've all judged county fairs. Every county fair in America, whether it's the best one or worst one, the bottom half or bottom third of those county fair, those pigs aren't very good. We would all agree upon that. Top end, they're usually really competitive. You get down to the bottom end of that. I don't care what county fair you're at. It's not very good. I think there's an opportunity raising pigs. Until we get the quality level across the board at every county in America, there's opportunity to have a sow or two or whatever to improve those animals, improve those livestock. Uh, you know, I think there's uh, still a very, and then there's people doing a good job of it and, and things of that nature. I know we're going to jump in and try to do a show pig clinic and camp this year. Now that we're down here and establish something I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, Cause we're still, I feel in the state that there's still a big gap in terms of your top end families and your families that are still just trying to learn basics and knowledge. There's tons of, you know, Ernest is one of my best friends in, in, in the world. And uh, you guys y'all had him on there and, and had a great podcast the other day. I thought that was one of the most just in terms of, you know, educational in, in terms of what they're doing and his philosophies on stuff. And, and um, I think there's tons of opportunity for education in, in our in our in our here in the show pig industry and in every other industry in terms of the show world. And uh, there's niches. There's niches everywhere. There's there's still states that are so underdeveloped and undertapped. You know, you get in the heart of Indiana, heart of Ohio, where we're all from, and everything. Yeah, it's very developed in terms of number of guys raising pigs and the number of that. Here in in Arkansas, I don't know if there's another guy that has over 
you know, there, there's guys that got five, 10 sows and maybe a handful more, but, you know, between Cobb and I, there's, there's two big, you know, in terms of number sizable hog breeders, show pig breeders, you go in Indiana, you may have five of those in one County. Yeah, and, and so yeah. there is, you know, you, you go to States, to Alabama, Mississippi, down in Southern parts, you know, look how much Georgia's grown in the last 10 years. You know, yeah. that was a state that was very underdeveloped. Uh, Florida is a state that's come a long way that there's other States and other parts of the country that are still very underdeveloped in terms of education and top end and just, you know, quality from top to bottom. And I think, I think you got to see that as an opportunity and, and don't consider this thing diluted. Yeah, there's 20, 30 online sales a night, but you're, you're going to trudge through in, in the top end guys that are doing it right and consistently. You know, it's like my dad always said, this isn't a microwave industry. You got everybody wants to go buy that $15,000, you know, high dollar one, read it to the $100,000 board and get you, you know, uh, your, your, your grand champion. Well, this doesn't work that way. This thing takes time and commitment and effort. I mean, I, I could argue we just said now in the last year or so or two really figured out what sow line we're going to build off of and go off of, you know, that's after eight, nine, 10 years of raising them. It's, it takes time to really figure out what sow line is working and, and, and build off of and, and go with. It's not just buy one and, and jump in and go. You've got to have some patience and, and uh, from, from that standpoint. So I would say if you've got one or two and, and you want to get to 10, 50, 100 of them, keep, keep charging on. I mean, uh, go out and, uh, you know, one thing I did early on was go to guys' place that are having success, whoever that is. If it's local, if it's across the country, um, put miles on. And, and go do it. Go look through their sow herds. How can you have success as a breeder if you don't know what the sows need to look like of guys having success? Uh, you know, I've spent time going through Heimer sows. I've gone through, through Cobb sows, through other, you know, I was out and went through Alton. I've been through Alton water sows and, and going through those guys that have had high-end success. And what do those baby pigs need to look like? What do their sows need to look like? So go through those guys that are having success at whatever level that you want that to be. And, and those guys will will we'll welcome you with open arms, you know, for the, if, you know, a, a lot of them will, you know, some may not, but a lot of them will, if, if you're a younger person, just really trying to learn and, and do that. Probably, well, I'd say one of the neatest things and experiences I ever did, and I wouldn't suggest a lot of people doing this, but is because I, I hadn't even been married a year when I made this trip, but <laughs> I, uh, I, I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, um, and went to Georgia National. I got a rental car and I drove from Georgia National to LSU. In that time, I was hosting an online sale. Don't I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. I, I was hosting an online sale, driving in the middle of the night from you know <laughs> from the bottom of Georgia to the bottom of LSU, and and uh, so I, still we're still, I'm trying to sell pigs in the middle of this. This is in February. This is all going on, and so I went and watched you know in Georgia. Hey, carpet surface, everything's different there. Pigs are a little different. You know, get an idea, game plan of what guys that are you're selling pigs to Georgia, what do those pigs need to look like? So I drove to LSU um, and, and watched the LSU, which is one of the neatest experiences you can ever do is, is go to Baton Rouge and just the, the atmosphere, the the people, the food, It's uh, the, and the animals are incredible. There's some, some incredible livestock people in the state of Louisiana. In my opinion, it's one of the most underrated um, state fairs or state shows in, in the entire country, just in terms of top end competition and, and uh, uh, just the overall experience. And then actually, uh, Ernest jumped in with me. He was at LSU helping a family, and we drove from LSU to San Antonio. And so, <laughs> it, it, you know how much Ernest talked, uh, you know, on, on podcasts. And if anybody knows Ernest, 
neat thing when I lived in Indiana, we were on a three hour time difference. So I'd be, you know, delivering pigs or whatever late at night, driving somewhere and it'd be two o'clock in the morning. I'm struggling to stay awake. I'd hop on the horn with Ernest and we'd talk for an hour or two and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, with the time difference, cause he was still awake. But so I, we drove from Baton Rouge to San Antonio and incredible time, just conversation. And I think we stopped at the stud, looked at some boars, and then we got in for, uh, you know, stayed that next whole, whole San Antonio and just sat there on the front row or wherever and, and just watched that hog show, um, you know, in terms of what do those hogs need to look like they're winning these, these major stock shows. If you're from the Midwest and want to sell pigs to win San Antonio or be competitive with San Antonio and Houston, and you've never been there, you have no idea when you're selling pigs to these people that are calling uh, from Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, this one can compete there. Well, you don't, if you haven't actually been there and right. seen that in person, what they need to look like, you have no idea. And so that probably, that trip, it was a two week trip. It was an expensive trip. Uh, I kind of newly, freshly married, left my wife at home taking care of stuff <laughs> with my dad at the time. Uh, but it was probably one of the most important trips that I've ever taken in my life, just in terms of growing our company. Um, in that very next year at LSU, we had the grand overall hog at LSU. And so I think that really helped me understand while I was sending some pigs to my buddy Clyde down there, what exactly he needed. Cause, cause those hogs, even though genetics are saying they're fed a little different, the surface is different, the, mm-hmm. you know, everything's di- different in terms of, um, you know, weight limits are different. Just everything's different. So in terms of the way those guys like to feed them and how they feed them and show them, um, in, in each of those states and areas is, is different. So I, I think that was a huge learning, uh, uh, thing for me. So I guess I digress a little bit just in terms of going out to, you know, whether it be guys as uh, sow, sow deals, you know, looking through their sows that have been successful, uh, going to shows that you're trying to sell pigs to and making sure to see what those pigs need to look like to be competitive at that, at that level. So, um, so I, I don't see this thing as being diluted. Uh, you know, Jesse uh, Heimer, he's, a good mentor of mine and a, and a good buddy and friend, he always says, you know, the incoming class is always greater than the outgoing graduating class. So there is always new families, more new families coming in than are, than are leaving this industry. So there's tons of opportunity and growth opportunity within our industry to sell more pigs, sell more animals and educate new families. Um, I think so. You know, some may see, see it as a negative. Is it, is it being diluted? Yeah, does it sometimes hurt you? So, you know, maybe some of your bottom end that guys are raising their own, they're going to keep maybe their top couple instead of buy a two or $300 pig from you. Um, yes, but but I don't see it as a bad thing. I think I see it as a great opportunity for, for our industry. So totally agree. Yep. And competition's a beautiful thing. And if you can't handle the heat, if, I mean, if you, if you think a guy with, with five or 10 sales is taking away, uh, enough of your business. If you've, if you've got a hundred or 200 of them, uh, maybe you should reevaluate where your program's at. Uh, I yeah, think no, no, no doubt. No doubt about yeah. it. That's what well, way at 10 sales. I was in the mindset, like, I mean, I'm going to be the best 10 sow right. uh, yeah. producer in, in the yep. country. We're going to win all these big shows with 10, you know what I mean? But you know, realistically, this thing's gone to a year round. Uh, you know, you can literally fair on race show pigs every month of the year now basically right you know, used to back in the day it was we had you know your winter pigs sold for the midwest fairs your fall pigs sold for the southwest and that was about it so you could have 10 sows or small number breed them twice and be good if you want to have sustained success and, and grow your name and in, in the thing in this thing it's it's a year-round deal anymore you have to have the the numbers um if you want to be at that level you have to have right. some numbers just to to have pigs when you need them to you know fit all these markets and all these shows and it's almost too if you only have a couple sows you have a larger responsibility to make sure everyone's accounted for 
you have Absolutely. less numbers. Whereas if you did have a hundred, yeah, three or four maybe didn't shake out. You have ninety-eight that can still roll. Or if you only have five sows, they all have to click and they have everything has to be right because that's all you got. And it, it can be done amazing. at both levels. Absolutely. It's amazing that jump. When we were at 10, I mean, my dad was doing kind of all our breeding then. I mean, he was, I mean, very <laughs> intentive and in, in stuff in terms of specifics on breeding. I mean, we were hitting 100% conception rates, you know, 9, 10, but we were hitting all of them and we were able to sell large letters and deep consistent letters just the way we raise them. We weren't just trying to swing and miss for one, you know, $100,000 boar. It was more trying to get deep consistent letters, sellable hogs that could go feed. And, and it was amazing when we jumped from 10 sows, moved facilities and, and opened up to 30 plus sows, you started including, you know, diseases and, and, and things like that. You weren't mm-hmm. really accounted for. You're moving more stuff in, more stuff out. You're, you know, you're all of a sudden your herd health management has to change and stuff. And so once you start growing, when you just have a handful, it's really easier to manage. But like you said, you, you can't miss. I mean, you have two sows, you better hit or you're, you're you're gone. And uh, now you have a little more room for, for air in terms of, you know, you're just naturally mother nature at the end of the day is going to take over and you're going to miss some and it's just not going right. to all work the way you want to. And, you know, matching these things up, they're not all going to, every letter is not going to turn out the way you expected. But uh, like you said, you have a lot smaller uh, margin of error when you just got a couple of sales versus, you know, breeding to 50, 100, 200, 300, you can right. miss and Hey, we'll, we'll catch them on the next go around. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's uh it's crazy to think, how many, how many, it would actually be kind of astonishing if you'd find out how many breeders out there have less than 10 cells. Yeah. And, and just, bunch. just know that this, just the sheer numbers of it all, uh, would that's be where I think crazy. Right, I think right now the, the, Borsta game is at a different level in terms of just because there are so many guys with with a handful of, of, of sows out there that there's, I mean, the semen game is crazy just in terms of dollars that uh, are being sold to, uh, of semen and a number of people with boars. You know, I would say right now probably the boar game is a little more flooded than anything because everybody's got a few boars at home yeah. um, trying to sell some semen versus your natural, you know, 10, 15 years ago it was you had five, six, seven major boars does, and that's where everybody sold their boars. And I've really uh, enjoyed the, you know, the, the sheep guys you've had on the Franklins, the Cadmuses, and even shell houses. Just, I love the sheep mentality of, of breeding livestock. I wish it was more that way in the hog deal where you, you know, you, you buy uh, a boar for those 30 or 40 and it's got to be more consistent, matched up. You know, I know the AI games change that some in the sheep deal and, and it, it's never going to be that way in the hog deal, but I think you really separate who's the best breeders uh, when you have to really break it down and have a herd boar versus being able to go out and just buy whatever semen you want to from anybody. Yeah, so, kind of like it um, used to I, be the the production sales when you had your boar, like when you took it out to show at that used to be a promotion of your own herd that was your boar for your sow herd man i yeah to go back in time a little bit i'd love to be sitting in those stands yeah speaking of uh speaking of boars how's shivers doing Oh, he's doing good. He's getting yeah. along. He's fixing to move out of the show barn and, and, and experience real life a little bit. Cause I got to drop 150 baby pigs on the chips here by the, by the weekend. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, he's, he's, he's been doing good. So yeah, that was cool. Uh, those that are listening that are interested in, uh, breeding sows, if you got some crossbreds, uh, shivers was pretty neat to look at, uh, when I was out at your place. So just, so. Uh, you know, no free ads, but you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. We'll take all we can get. Another brief pause in the action with another good episode, but we'd like to take a picture-perfect look at a picture-perfect picture Legacy Livestock Imaging. Folks, Heidi Anderson has everything going on, and her team is absolutely incredible. Visit her Facebook page and her website, 
LegacyLivestockImaging.com and get incredible images like you've never seen before, capturing moments all over the country at almost every livestock show. Legacy Livestock Imaging does it right in every way possible, and we are so happy to have them part of Stock Talk Podcast. LegacyLivestockImaging.com. Go there now to get incredible prints and hire them for your next show to capture success. Or senior picture. In great moments. Yes, senior pictures, weddings. It's not just livestock. You bet. LegacyLivestockImaging.com. So we're going to introduce a new segment, uh, still brought to you by Brad Hall Ford, obviously. Kokomo, Indiana. Go buy yourself uh, a Ford truck from the folks at Brad Hall. And if you don't want a truck, uh, they have other vehicles too, even some Chevys. That's right. Yeah, I made that mistake once. <laughs> yeah, uh, the breakdown. We're going to call this one the breakdown, um, and we will at some point have a really cool jingle, jingle or something that we could audio. Maybe by the time I edit, I'll find something. Who yeah, knows? That's you never know. But anyway, the breakdown brought to you by Brad Hal Ford. Um, so let's break this down. We want to break down joint supplements. Uh, do we need them? Do they work? Let's talk about it. Um, I think your background, obviously, was some some joint health supplement products uh, and working with some of that stuff in your past, I think will be some good insight. So let's talk about it. Let's break it down. Yeah. So um, some may know, some may not. I, uh, I know you guys had Zach Gray on here and he touched a little bit. He owned a, a champion show stock along with some other business and stuff. Actually, I started champion show stock along with my cousin, Tim Broomball, which uh, the Broomball family in Indiana is, is famous for, you know, showing cattle and, and being very successful in the cattle world. I think, uh, this is aggressive supplements a little bit, but Tim showed Marlboro in 04, which was the first white smoky series reserve grand at state fair at a time where it was, if you weren't black, you didn't have a chance. And that kind of, I think maybe helped set the trend a little bit in terms of whites being a little more uh, acceptable in, in the industry. But anyway, uh, so Tim and I kind of started champion show stock and, and did, uh, did a few other small things with that and stuff, but I kind of came across and, and got the, working on a, a joint supplement called glide, that we were working on the time. And then we came together with Zach um, and he had some ideas for some products. And so we, you know, kind of brought champion show stock together um, in, in that supplement company. And I had a lot of irons in the fire at one point in time, you know, being married, having, you know, ser- you know, full-time job, having the pigs, everything like that. I, I kind of got an opportunity to sell my half of the company out. And, and so did that. So I've stepped away from that a little bit, still have some uh, some interest uh, in terms on the joint side of things, but haven't you know pushed it or, or been as heavy on that um, at this at this realm and stage of life as, as we may have once were or may be down the road. But uh, um, you know, so got a lot of some background in in that specific area of things. You know, from from a salesman standpoint and having interest that yeah, great. Everybody needs a joint supplement. Everybody <laughs> needs that uh, and everything. You know, go buy them. Go buy them. You know, all and everything like that. I, I would say. Um, my, my opinion on joint supplements is, um, I think they're a good insurance policy. Um, you know, if you can, you know, none of them are are super cheap and if they are cheap, they're probably not very effective. Mm. Um, you know, I would say be very, uh, do your homework in terms of science and science based behind that. I would say the, the, the supplement industry is a crazy industry and I'm kind of glad I jumped out. You have to spend so many dollars in marketing and, and have a, a new product. Everybody wants to know what's the latest and greatest, right? What's the, what's the newest, what's the, what's out there? What's a, what's a new product? What's this? And so everybody jumps to a new product every year versus maybe just, uh, uh, you know, using ones that still, you know, still work and are, are scientifically proven uh, to, to work. And so I would say, you know, you, you do your homework on that side. We had a, a glucosamine supplement that, you know, and four strands of glucosamine in it and is very scientifically proven to work. I think the hyaluronic acid is, is some good stuff in there. Really those two together 
um, work extremely, extremely well as well. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a good insurance policy, especially in the hog world when you're starting to, you know, if you still live in a state that can utilize paling, but um, you know, when you're starting to put pounds on those things, especially when you're utilizing paling, maybe drying those joints out a little bit and stuff, uh, keeping those things fluid and be able to reach and, and flex and, and go, um, you know, and then we're starting to put weight on them. We get over 200 pounds and plus and really put weight on them and starting to exercise more. I think it's a good insurance policy. I'll, I'll still, I mean, because our number one factor in raising show pigs is, is skeletal design and build. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the very best animals we've had that have won shows we have not touched a, with with a syringe we probably didn't use a joint supplement didn't need to use a joint supplement because they didn't need it if you have one that's limping bad this or that it's they're not magic cure-alls i can promise you now there's some stuff you can horse racing stuff you can 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 give to them you know um whether there it passes a drug test or not i don't know but i mean there's you know there's stuff out there like that that, that is a potential uh, that's not just a daily daily joint supplement um, but, uh, I, I don't think if you've got one that's injured and just not good gated in terms of skeletal design and build, are they necessary? I mean, you might just be wasting your money. I mean, right. same with, you know, we've got the new technology of MagnaWave. We've used it some, I think, you know, there's people that absolutely swear by it. There's other people out as it were same, same deal. I think it, um, you know, I, th- I think it's it's a good tool in, in the right spots and situations. If you've got one that, that can't go good enough from behind, it's probably not going to make them just yeah. be perfect and fluid and, and, and sound. Um, it's not going to fix one that's not not good enough there. And I, I think joint supplements are down the same realm. I think it's a good insurance policy. And if you're going to be, you know, you're up in your protein, you're up in your weight, we're getting up in their heavy weights a month out from showing, things of that nature. Um, if you're running some paling on them, I, I think it's good and, and helps from – from that standard, I, I don't think it's a cure-all. I don't think it's going to make a crippled one walk. I, I think, um, and that can be said for probably a lot of supplements in terms of what they're, you know, what they're supposed to be and what right. how we actually use them. I like um, your, and, I like your insurance policy term. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, because there's a lot of times you put it on them. Did it work? Did it not? Well, I don't know. It, yeah. it, you know, we didn't. <laughs> it made me sleep better at night. Change, but it didn't, it didn't cripple him, and he didn't get crippled, so maybe it didn't. Maybe you it know did. what I mean? So it's, uh, but then. You know, a lot of times if they start tightening, stiffening up, and, and a lot of that, if they get tight and stiff, hey, maybe we need to back down paleo. Maybe we need to back down protein a little bit and, and add a little more fat into this thing and let them kind of just mellow their skeleton out yep. a little bit and, and go from there. So I probably didn't do a great sales pitch on being the next, you know, kind of supplement and, and joint guy and, and things of that nature, but I'm just telling the honest truth of the way I see it and, and, and what I think about them. So. Yeah, I don't I don't ever think that the joint supplements were brought to the market as a response to fixing issues rather than uh, promoting, uh, you know, joint health and and things of that nature. Yeah. And and the other part with joint supplements too that that I think people have a common misconception is exactly that it's it's the oh hey I've got a bear that's limping I'm going to start giving it X Y Z joint supplement and you yeah. know that that's never gonna never gonna solve your problem. Best uh, way to solve that problem is just to breed them right, <laughs> make right. sure they're good yeah, mates. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. And and nothing, you know, if you got one that comes up lame or something like that, I mean, it might have helped to have them on a joint supplement, but it's not going to solve their problem immediately. That's yep. it's uh, there's no magic potion that you could feed a piece of livestock that's just going to completely change them. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I I think we we go back to the Milestinius episode where we talked about our, our magical joint supplements that yeah. we could invent, you know, or just uh, a magic potion magic for potion. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, calm, calm the bleep out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> For the parents. Yeah. For the parents, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's good. That's a good breakdown, I think, of joint supplements. Yeah, excited so- for this segment. If you guys uh, that are listening have a topic you want us to break down 
or uh, maybe a certain species guest to break down, uh, send it to us, and we'll something be happy new, to... switching it up. Yes, yeah, a little, little different. Uh, we felt like Social Smash probably was getting a little redundant, which is good. I think we covered a lot of bases over the course of a little over a year, so um, that's pretty cool. All right, Jordan, this is one of our favorite things, and we do this a lot, but I think it's it's fun to hear some of the stories. You've talked a lot already in this episode of some of the champions that you've had in your early years of success. And what would you say some of your best ones you've ever raised um, that you've been a part of even uh, that stand out in your mind? And, and of course, you know, our uh, Mount Rushmore, so we can do the the Mount Leatherman. We could do that. So whatever. Uh, <laughs> what are your what are your well, what are your favorites that uh, you can think of the top of your head? Yeah, uh, we, we've been fortunate, you know, at the state fair level across the country, have some success and things of that nature. Probably one of my all-time favorite uh, ones we've put together. And there's there's factors that go into that. There's always hogs that, you know, because of relationships you built with families or because the animal was that good or it's a show you're trying to win and get over the hump. But uh, probably one of my favorite ones uh, to, to start off with is we had a bear in, uh, at American Royal in 16 or the York bear. Um, that uh, wins the Yorks at American Royal and uh, was very, very well received uh, by some breeders that I uh, respect dearly and, um, and still some guys tell you, hey, that's the best York bear I've ever seen type deal and stuff. And whether he is or not, whatever, that's a, always de- debates for that. But uh, he was actually a, you know, a bear we raised out of a boar that I had raised called Beat'em All. Uh, he was a Beat'em All in control. Beat'em All was a boar um, that uh, – that, um, that I raised that was the first boar I'd ever taken out to a show anywhere, take him to Louisville and um, take that thing. And, and I'm in the ring and then we went our class and I'm in the ring and the champion drive. And I look around the champion drive, Mark Hope's driving a little boar out of class one, looked over my other way, Steve Cobb's driving a boar in the grand drive, look over Rick Whitman's driving a boar in there. And then you got Norman driving a boar in there. And uh, for some reason, Stoddy thought I needed to win this thing. Still, Stoddy was judging it. And we come over and, and, uh, and shakes my hand, win the show. I was like, hey, that's great. That's awesome. You know, we raised the grand board at Louisville at Summertime Conference. You know, Summertime Conference is always one of those shows growing up, especially as a Yorkshire breeder. There used to be 22, 23 classes of Yorkshire gilts at that thing, and it was – I mean, that was like going to Angus Junior Nationals, right? It was the Yorkshire Junior Nationals of the hog deal was, was uh, you know, it's not quite that today is what it was at one time. But, I mean, you know, 20-plus classes of Yorkshire of Yorkshire pigs, and, and when you're a Yorkshire guy, that's that's awesome. Well, you know, the next day sale goes, and, and we walk in, and, and that thing brings 18,000. And, you know, I'm, hey, the first board we ever took out, we win, bring 18,000. But what happened after that was uh, the next, like, five boards through the ring bring over three-quarter of a million dollars together. <laughs> uh, it was, it was the million dollar record selling York sale. I mean, Cobb's reserve comes in, that thing brings 240. Then Hogue brings in, in control, brings 270. Whitman brings profit in, brings like 145. I think Norman brings not even close in, brings 135. They sell another board for like 45. And the old Dan Baker comes up afterwards. He goes, Jordan, he goes, I'm sorry. He goes, I wish we could have sold that thing about fifth or sixth because he probably would have brought quite a bit more. You know, everybody's waiting for these other boards to sell. And we had somebody had to sell first. And Ty Leto actually, High Point ends up find that board but Ty Leto actually named him and uh, he goes hey at least you beat them all buddy you know so we, we named <laughs> just him. holding the banner <laughs> yeah yeah so they named him beat them all but I say that because uh that was you know as a young breeder at that time you, you see that and that kind of like 
you know, rocks you back a little bit. You're on this high of like, hey, man, I just won the Yorkshire, you know, Yorkshire deal. And then all of a sudden you watch these boards bring gobs and gobs of money. And, and we're not, I mean, that's one thing that we do. I'm not a guy that's sitting there trying to swing and sell $100,000 board. Hey, if it happens and we make one, it, it's great. But, you know, we're trying to win bear shows and hog shows and, and things of that. So the, the board deal, I don't keep many intact or we don't try to feed many out in terms of we're not trying to play that game as much as maybe some guys are, but, um, you know, it, it was a neat experience, but, you know, I, I didn't use beat them all for like the first two years or whatever. After that, I used those other boards. I used in control. I used not even, I mean, I used those other boards that beat us. Cause I was like, mentally, I was like, man, them things were way better than mine, you know? So that was the only litter of pigs I had out of beat them all. And, uh, the sow that that thing was out of was an in control sow that, uh, actually was that guilt was for Katie's last year showing. And we were kind of going to, she had a successful show career, obviously. And we kind of thought that guilt may go out with a bang that summer for her show career and the junior shows. Well, she, uh, they snared her before expo to pull blood on her and uh, she threw her hip out when she snared. And so she was, she was done for. And I just told my father-in-law, you know, it was weird. Katie and I were just dating at the time, but I was like, I just, you know, heal her up and we'll ship her off. And I, it was two, three months later, I was down at the house and, he had her out back in some pen behind the barn or something like that. He goes, Hey, come over here. Let me see something. She was up and, and doing good. So I took her home. And so I read beat them all to her and we make that bear. Um, that, <laughs> uh, uh, Beck judged him at uh, Colton Clifford showed that bear. Colton had good success with us and, and had some had some wins and things of that nature. And, and uh, we, we, me and Colton, we were the last pig at the, at the barn at American Royal, we, we pinned in there with one pig rolled in and, and, uh, you know, end up winning, end up winning the Yorks and, and end up being third out in the sale in terms of that. That, that was a bear I always remember just in terms of not quality, but, you know, his, he was an incredible bear, but also just in terms of, uh, you know, the story behind it. And, and so I, you know, I'd say that to encourage young guys or whoever to have confidence in your own program, have confidence in the ones you're racing that you can raise ones, you know, uh, good enough to go on and compete if, you know, with, with stuff you're racing um, and things of that nature. I just never had, you know, as a learning lesson, I didn't have the confidence to use my own board, um, you know, and, and the one time I did, we, we raised one that wins the Royal there. Um, another bear that, I, that is a memorable one is our grand at Colorado. We had to reserve grand the year before that with Richardson family. And then the next year they won in 17, the grand at Colorado, a uh, judge that one. And it was Ernest called me. He was out there. I didn't, I didn't go because I was nervous. They said, Hey, come out. This thing's pretty good. And, and uh, I didn't want to jinx him. So I stayed home, didn't fly out. I, I called Ernest. I said, Hey, you want to go check on this pig? And he calls me, he goes, that, he goes, what is that thing? He goes, I mean, he was laying down. He said, I knew laying down that thing was going to win the show. And he walks out and kind of wins in the smoke and, and Bobo talked him high. That was a neat bear. The reason that bear was neat and memorable, not because he won that state fair, that bear was fed 632 in oats his whole life. Now an ounce of paneling, no scud, no nothing. He literally, when they got him home, they fed him 632 in oats up until the show day. And that's one of those, like I said, I didn't have any joint stuff. It's probably they didn't need the, you know those special ones that are good pigs just are easy to easy to feed didn't have to have never got sick didn't have shots things of that nature um, um, and then you know a couple others uh, there's a, a guilt we called Rousey who's a calico guilt she was granted Arkansas in eighteen um, the Key family showed that one that they become great family friends of ours and that that was a great a, a very good guilt I mean incredible she was one of those when you know she she walks into class you kind of knew the show was probably going to be over just her, the way she was presented and stuff and and uh, the way that one was um, Lackey showed a bear at Austin it was reserved dark cross at Austin as a calico bear it was probably one of the one of the probably better just in terms of burly stout ones we've raised uh, that that I really uh, liked we've had others that have done better than that but that was that was just a bear that I thought you know, just in terms of type and kind could really play at a Texas major. 
Um, and so it kind of gets to that hump, like, okay, that's, that's what we're shooting for, ones that are built yep. and, and look like that. And then we didn't technically raise them. Um, I bought that bread south from Heimer that uh, would have resulted in Dirty South. Um, and obviously with what South's done in terms of, you know, Grand Gilded Expo, Grand, you know, all over the place. And, and uh, he's made an incredible run. But more importantly was it was South's sister. I sold my buddy Clyde in, 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 um, in Louisiana and uh, – she wins a couple couple shows, ends up getting beat at their head LSU by we end up winning that show with a different one. But that in terms of probably one of my favorite animals we've had shown was was South Sister. Um, and she was really neat. So that's you know, a handful, four or five of them. We you know, obviously uh, we, we've had a good run and, and they've had success, but there's different ones that stick out for, for different reasons. It's not always because they won the hog show is maybe just because they're trying to get over a hump or, you know, trying to put an animal together. There's sometimes animals that stand third in class and, you know, like Ernest talked in his, in his episode that, you know, maybe that, that one in third that you sell more pigs off that one in third than maybe one of the one you won the hog show with, right, right. Um, yep. and I, you know, like that guild at LSU that year, we, we won with that. Well, we won LSU that year for sure with the kiss my socks bear, but the, the, the guilt <laughs> that was reserve heavy dark end up our reserve dark cross or whatever, um, end up probably being the more, the more talked about one, the more ones guys remember or say, Hey, we, we won't like that one, you know, type mm. of deal. So yep. uh, that's, that's probably some of them that are memorable for us for different reasons. Yeah. Those stories are mind blowing. Sometimes uh, the journey, some of them take, or, you know, the, the, just the crazy backstories with with some livestock that have won shows that people don't necessarily know, which is why I'm glad we have this platform so we can yeah, we, we can share it. them, man. It's, it's cool. Um, so as we uh, wrap up here, our new question, obviously for season two here at Stock Talk, is what lessons has the show stock industry taught you? And it'll be really cool to get your take and perspective, given your journey thus far, um, because I'm sure those lessons have obviously changed. Uh, from from the beginning you know we touched on a little bit you know i kind of talked about a little bit about doing your homework um if you want to be successful i mean that, that's the biggest takeaway i can say and lesson that i've learned i mean there's been tons of little lessons in, in along the way from mentors and my dad my father-in-law from guys i look up to and have, have been in this thing with in terms in terms of you keep with you and keep close to your heart and and uh remember on a day-to-day basis uh, you know, I think diligence and patience is huge. Uh, this industry is not for the faint of heart. There, there's plenty of nights that uh, you get in from fairing a sow that was struggling at three o'clock in the morning, and you need to be up at six to go to the next thing, and you're lacking of sleep. You're, you're, you are, you know, things are going wrong. Sows pop back in heat. Sows struggle farrowing. Uh, best animal or hog gets gets hurt or you know just there's so many things that can knock you down in this thing and make you maybe want to think about giving up give you know uh man tossing in with everything going on in the world right now you're like man can can we keep can we keep selling stuff and are we gonna be able to provide for our family and you know especially when you have a young family and stuff like that it's it's uh those are things that keep you up at night and you know, on your brain and, and things of that nature. So I think if you're just patient, this thing does not happen overnight. It, it, I'd say, especially any young person out there that's hey, our dream is to raise show pigs full time. Um, it, it just kind of happened for us the way everything spun and, and what I went from, you know, I was working an insurance deal, raising a few hogs and I got an opportunity to work for Linder on the show feed side of things for a while. And I was in Indiana and then just everything opened up for us to move and, and really try to grow our business is, you know, here in Arkansas. And, and you know, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do it full time if I lived in Indiana, to be honest with you, just because 
our, our market is so much transitioned to the South and Southwest is kind of where I needed to be at to really uh, uh, explore this thing and make it work. And it was one of those things I was going to roll the dice and, and uh, hey, in two, three years, we, we may be, you know, looking to get a job in corporate America, which I despise, but anyway, <laughs> but you know what I mean? You may, you, you, you may be looking at that. So it's uh, it's a risk. It's a chance. Um, you, you know, it's a financial risk. It's a, it's a chance because you're dealing with mother nature. You're dealing with, you know, I think Jason Lackey said it, but I mean, you make, I mean, it is up to that person to make the most of it. I mean, that's the neat thing about raising livestock. It, it is on you to raise animals that are quality enough to go show, go win. And then, then you've got to have, you, you've got to be, have some business, you know, savvy to you to, to make it work in terms of, you know, there's years I spent way too much money on semen that I, you know, I, in terms of the dollars amount that you couldn't make it work in terms of making a living on. So you've got to get a little savvy on how, how you manage your expenses and things of that nature as well. But um, I say, if you just be patient, um, it, it'll come. Like I said, you don't, you don't understand overnight to what, what that exact sow, Hey, that one's going to make us all our money. Or, you know, I thought, uh, uh, shell house was a neat, he had a $600 U that end up being as one that's making everything. I mean, probably our key sow right now wasn't a high dollar one. I've bought more high dollar ones than I should have. And, and some of them work great. And, and there's a bunch of them that don't work. And so sometimes it's those ones that come up through that make a name for themselves and you give them a chance and give them a second and third chance. And you really probably take that second, third, fourth litter before you really realize that, Hey, that's the one we really need to build and, and go off of and, and roll with. And so um, I would say just, just being patient, uh, being diligent and, and, and really doing your homework and, and reaching out to guys, man, don't be afraid to reach out to those breeders you look up to. It, it's a small industry. I know at times it seems big, especially if you're young, this thing seems Goliath, but when you're, when you're looking at it, it really, uh, it's, there's a lot of good people involved with it and a lot of people that were in your shoes at one time and, and want to help out and, and, and help you grow and, and help you learn. So, um, it's, uh, you know, do what you can. Get an internship with a with a guy and, and, and go work at the farm and, and, and try to pick up some styles here or there if you can. And if you want to build and, and go from go from scratch and go on up, and you got to have a good support system. I, I promise you. Um, you know, if I wasn't married to a saint, I'd, I'd be. Uh, I mean, my wife deserves more credit than anybody in terms of where we're at, just in terms of her putting up with me <laughs> and, and probably my uh, mentality and attitude and, and and stuff. At times, she she does a great job of, of keeping me positive and, and keeping things rolling in the right direction and, and uh um you know does does a bunch i can't thank her enough and and so the support system you need to, to really get through this and manage through it and if you've got employees having the right employees and, and making that a good experience for everybody and, and so um just be diligent and be patient and definitely do your homework if you want to get to where you want to be at absolutely it's funny uh speaking of your wife trevor showed me a picture on his phone uh yesterday of himself Katie and Jackson Johnson all in a showmanship contest with, with Kevin Went. With Kevin Went judging. Yeah. Pull oh, pull them all in a circle. That's a classic right there. We'll probably have to throw that one on Facebook. Yeah, we, we should <laughs> put it go. in the show notes perfect. maybe or something. Yeah. But I it came across as like a memory one day or something. My mom threw it on yeah. Facebook way back in the day. Oh yeah. And it popped up and yeah. I was like Holy crap! There's a lot of people in this photo right here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's amazing to look back on those and, and realize, you know, who was all there at those events. I used to in college do some. Uh, 
oh, I, I worked at, I don't know if you've heard of like Spies, um, uh, they, a lot of AAU basketball games and stuff are over there, played at Spies there in Fort Wayne. And I, I helped out. I worked there when I was at Huntington, uh, ref some games and then things that, you know, just trying to make some in college, some, some money and, and stuff like that. But if you go grab some of those lists of the names of guys that played at their, those tournaments there that are in the NBA now and things like that, wow. it's neat to look back. You don't wild. realize it at the time of, you know, what, you know, it's just a high school kid that, you know, is talented, but you have no idea that's yeah. Harrison Barnes or, you know, whoever's there, Dwayne Wake or, you know, whoever that's come through those things um, is, is going to be there. But the same as looking back on those pictures at shows and stuff, you see where everybody's at. Some of them are nowhere near the industry and some of them are, you know, getting to, you know, doing big things in the industry. So yeah. you just never know. And sure enough, I, I swiped text to the next photo and it was the backdrop photo of, of the showmanship contest. Guess who won? Katie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was sitting in the back. <laughs> Man, when, when we moved at, at our house in Indiana, I had we had on our wall in my office, uh, like I said, I didn't show as much. You know, we obviously dad had tons of success raising winners, him and Lambright did and stuff, but we you know, we had a little success in here, this, that, but nothing. My my wall had like two things, racks of belt buckles, and it was literally all of Katie's belt buckles of like <laughs> Denver Expo Royal. I think she's won every showmanship contest in America, at least at each age division at all the majors, um, at least once or, or so. It's it's some stupid like that, but uh, so our. Uh, or at least I said that. At least it's all on you to to teach our kids to show. Thank you. Know, it's <laughs> yeah. on you. It's, it's on you. So a little sometimes you know she reminds me of that. But now I just get onto her. You know, if we're out working boards or something in the yard, I said, "Ah, you're you're getting rusty. You're losing." losing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, good stuff. Well, man, we appreciate your time and uh, stay healthy and uh, make sure you tell the yeah. family hey. And uh, we will catch up at the next show. Well, it'll be here before we know it. Uh, once we get out of this quarantine mess. So, hey, Absolutely. thanks for uh, showing your knowledge, and uh, we can't wait to get this one out there. Sounds good, guys. I certainly appreciate it. A really good guy. Uh, again, I'm, I'm amazed by um, his quick success uh, going from Indiana, clear down to Arkansas, rerouting himself, if you will. And, um, man, just a, a really good, good conversation. Uh, kind of last minute, we had to maneuver things around um and get it done but guys uh, seriously final drive genetics has a lot of things to offer in the show pig industry uh it's not too late to contact him for your next uh uh purchase and it sounds like he's got an incredible board that i need to, to take a look at so yeah real um, good pig now we uh, need to look forward to next episode let's uh, let's now that we can do this usually we kind of go week by week but we've scheduled something for you folks that we're pretty pumped about it's special um and the reason we're going to announce what this episode is is so that you can prepare yourself uh mentally to handle what we're going to bring to you uh trevor and i are still preparing ourselves mentally um folks we've got the hooks the hooks two hooks we've Both got hooks. jay bradley hook is coming back on the pod Along with Drake Hook. Not Drake the Rapper, but uh, <laughs> Drake Hook. Uh, we're, we're pumped. Um, it's going to be fun. As always, uh, talked to Brad the other night and got some interesting news. Great storyteller, as always. So we're looking forward to that. And Brad he, has told us he's got a big announcement. That's right. that he wouldn't even tell me over the phone. He's like, I want you guys to react to it uh, as we discuss in the episode. So tune in next week for sure for an awesome episode. Excited to get Drake's insight. Talk about a young show prig breeder 
that's just hustling. Uh, as Jordan talked uh, in this episode, doesn't matter if you have two sows or 200 sows, uh, you know, Drake's program is steadily growing. But if you haven't paid attention to his online sales and things of that nature, uh, kids breeding some good swine. Good hogs. I'm I'm very uh, excited to get both hooks in the same room. And it's going to be next Wednesday, folks. We hope that you check out The Showman, the very first ever online showmanship contest. More info to come later this weekend. Follow Stay tuned at that. Get on socials. Uh, Facebook is the place where you're going to hear all the updates, both podcast and online contests. And the $1,000 scholarship you need to go to stocktalk-podcast.com slash scholarship to get you right where you need to be. It's super simple. I'm not sure why everybody isn't jumping all over that. And you get to chat with us during an interview. Um, so we'll get that accomplished. Guys, we love each and every one of you week in and week out. Can't wait to see you next week with The Hooks. We'll catch you there. <laughs>